here, there, and everywhere. SAFM 106.6 FM in King Williamstown. Hashtag SAFM Talking Point. It's 17 after 11. Some distressing news, as you heard there, um, from Yanga, who has been hijacked, and his daughter, his three-year-old daughter, is in the back of the car. He's out in Delft. Uh, that's where the hijacking took place, and he's asking for any assistance, especially from um, the listeners who are in that part of the country. We're also getting in touch with the police, and we'll find out uh, what they can tell us about this particular case. Okay. For now, let's turn our attention then to our Labour talk today. And we're looking at the issue of non-nationals who are employed in South Africa and some of the laws that regulate that space. Ashraf Esop is a director and head of immigration at Legal Services at Rousseau's. Uh, Mr. Esop, good morning. Hi, good morning. And thank you once again for the opportunity. It's a pleasure to have you on, Mr. Esop, and uh, to be talking about this very important conversation. I suppose a good place to begin would be when it comes to organizations making decisions about who to hire and who not to hire. How? What is the approach when it comes to South African citizens versus non-nationals? Okay, with the South African citizen, I think the choice is very, very easy and clear. In terms of the Constitution, every South African citizen has the freedom of trade and occupation. Now, barring uh, one or two instances, uh, you might find that you you enjoy absolute freedom in terms of the Constitution to hire and to fire. In terms of firing... The Labor Relations Act is the legislation that we must concentrate on, and it's very, very clear. And there are mechanisms built in to defend employees as well as employers, and it's called the CCMA and or Bargaining Council. So so it's a very, very well-developed, highly regulated industry. So an employer, in the normal course, he would look for the best possible candidate for that particular position. Now, if you compare that to foreigners, then there are the following categories of persons that you may employ with or without a visa or permit. But it has to be clear, you cannot employ them without one of two routes, which is either in terms of the Refugees Act, alternatively in terms of the Immigration Act. In terms of the Refugees Act, all the refugee has to do is provide his permit and that entitles him to study, work, operate a business, marry, do a number of things, all based on being in possession of what we call the Section 22 permit, which is that he is seeking asylum and... Once he gets asylum, he becomes a recognized refugee. He's also protected in terms of the Refugees Act until the matter is dealt with one way or the other, which is legally or internally with the uh, with the refugees 
appeals authority. And then that refugee, after a period of five years of being recognized, can actually apply for permanent residence. So he becomes absorbed into the South African permanent landscape. So residents and citizens almost enjoy equal rights. Now, while it is very difficult for your citizenship to be deprived, your permanent residence may be revoked, depending on the circumstances. For example, if there was fraudulent information, so that will collapse your prospects of living and working in the country. The other mainstream application that a foreigner may follow in order to secure employment in the country are the various subsections in the Immigrations Act, starting with Section 11, which authorizes a foreigner to conduct work-related activities for a period of between three months and three years. So, for example, uh, you may come in to do a movie script or work on set, and you could be authorized to do that. So a visitor's visa, that's the terminology in terms of Section 11, doesn't mean that you're a tourist. So a tourist may not work. A visitor may work with permission, and there are various subcategories in Section 11. For example, you could do volunteer work, you could do academical uh, or sabbatical work in the country. And very important is a concession in terms of Section 11, 6B, which says that if you are married to a South African citizen or in a life partnership, you may indeed seek permission to work, start your own business, etc. So that means that you don't have to normally follow the routes that we will unpack shortly in terms of the other work permits. You don't have to follow that route in order to acquire a work permit. So the other part of the Immigration Act that we can deal with in the ordinary course, remember now I'm not talking about special dispensation that is given to uh, Lesotho as well as Zimbabwe. They are able to carry out work almost on the same basis as a refugee if they're already in possession of the historical Zimbabwean exemption permits or special permits, which is now 12 years in place, they simply have to present the letter from the employer and be employed, and that is lawful. Then if we look at the Immigration Act again, as I was saying, then Section 19 of that Act is very, very instructive because that deals with what we refer to as general work permits. Now, there are subcategories there. You could have applied for a general work permit. You could apply for a critical skills work permit, which I'll um, describe shortly. You could apply for um, any other kind of work permit, like an intra-company transfer. The intra-company transfer applies to people who may work in South Africa where they are transferred from a foreign company to a local company that has some kind of link with the foreign company. And 
there are strict requirements underpinning each of the three kinds of permits that are available to foreigners in terms of Section 19, which refers to the work permit, which is the general work permit. So, for example, in the general work permit, the employer has to satisfy the department that he's done everything possible to exhaust finding the local skills. Part of that is that the employer has to advertise the position and he has to say why he couldn't find the necessary skills, sorry, not, not, not a critical skill, but why he couldn't find a suitable person for that position locally. And he then applies... So, 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 so sorry, so, sorry to come in there, um, Mr. Esop. So, uh, under which act is this? Um, in terms of the this particular under the Immigration Act. So, the, these are the particular requirements that are then placed on the employer who sets out on the process of finding um, people to come in and do some work. Well, you know, it's it's really in conjunction with the employer, but the employer is the one that says, "I don't." find the skills locally, and I'll talk back to that skills shortage shortly, because there was a publication on the 26th of November by the Minister of Higher Education regarding the national skills of occupations in high demand, so the skills in high demand that are already in the marketplace, in the workplace. So South Africa already suffers a skills shortage. But we, we're speaking about uh, foreigners at the moment. How do they acquire a legal visa to operate in this country, to work? So the employer has to has to satisfy the minister that, look, and the Department of Labor, look, I haven't been able to get anyone here because the Department of Labor has a very, very important role to play. The Department of Labor has to certify that that person is, should, be, should be given an opportunity to work in South Africa. But the employer also takes responsibilities for the cost related to deportation of the applicant and his family, should it become necessary. So it's not that the employer, you know, just employs somebody and then forgets about it. The employer also has to ensure that the passport of his employee is valid for all times during the duration of the employment. Like we said, he has to then get the the, the migrant or the uh, immigrant has to also get a, a certificate from the Department of Labor. Now, this he can only do with the, uh, with the employer's help. He says, the employer says, look, I've searched diligently for a prospective employee. And I can't find somebody else here who's a suitable citizen or permanent resident with the skills or experience equivalent to the uh, immigrant. And that the immigrant has qualifications or proven skills and experience in line with the job offer." He also has to certify that the salary and benefits of the migrant will not be inferior to the average salary of the citizens or permanent residents in a similar position. He has to enter into a contract of employment stipulating the terms and conditions 
which is signed by both the employee as well as the prospective employer, and it has to be in line with the labor standard in the Republic. And it is obviously conditional upon the work permit being approved, a work visa being approved. There's another element here. Be, be, before, be, before you get into that other element, um, Mr. Esop, I'm going to come in there uh, because we're edging up towards the 11.30 news headlines and uh, we're going to take headlines and I'll give you uh, ample time to complete that thought, but certainly uh, some very useful information that you've put on the table already so far. And if you want to be part of this conversation, of course, and if you've got some questions to put uh, to uh, Mr. Esop, the number to dial this morning is zero. 011 714 uh, The WhatsApp line is 0614-104-107. On Twitter, it's at SFM Radio. The hashtag SFM Talking Point. And the SMS line is 41391. Uh, so those are the details that you need in order to get in touch with us for this conversation. We're, t- we're taking a look at the legal requirements uh, when it comes to non-national uh, what 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 is the policy framework that actually governs that space? What do we need to know? Because a lot has been said recently, especially in the wake of the conflict that we're seeing in the freight sector. It's eleven thirty. Utile has your latest news headlines. The talking point with Kathy Motlasana weekdays nine a.m. till midday. You're live on the talking point. Thanks so much for getting in touch with us, to, oh, <laughs> for joining us today, not for getting in touch with us. But if you do want to get in touch with us, the number to use is 11 We're in conversation with Ashraf Esop. He's a director and head of immigration at Legal Services at Rousseau's. Um, Mr. Esop, you, you are still giving us the details in terms of what the legislation requires for local employment employers when they are employing non-nationals? Yes. So we were saying that if there has to be qualifications, it has to be evaluated by SACWA, and obviously it has to be translated into one of the official languages, as well as if the employer is employing somebody, he himself has to give his subsea documents, the official documents, he also has to undertake to employ uh, to inform the director general should the applicant not comply with the provisions of the act or conditions of the visa. And he also has to say when the employee is no longer in the employer of such employer, he is not employed by that employer, or if he's moved from that to another role or capacity. Now, those visas are generally uh, for a period of five years. So you can see it's quite onerous. It's not quite easy to get something like this. And hence, there's been the obvious, you know, stamping ground for fraud. And unfortunately, for a lot of employers, they absolutely have no idea that the employee doesn't have a valid visa. They have a look at the visa and they say okay and they go ahead with that however Mm. the buck doesn't stop there the employer is in very very dangerous territory because he's obliged to make reasonable inquiries with the department Mm. and keep those records for five years so you know the employer is not just it's not easy for him to to just employ a foreigner Mm. without 
confirming all of these things. Now, let's say there is something missing, which is a very difficult thing generally to obtain is a Department of Labor letter. Um, sometimes the Department of Labor gets it wrong. We had a, we had a place for a specialized sweet maker, and the department simply sent people that had worked in bakeries. Now, confectionery, sweet making, is different from baking. Mm. Um, and it's difficult to convince the Department of Labor. So the only way around that is to put your case to the Department of Home Affairs, to the minister, and say, look, Mr. Minister, I've tried everything. Can you please waive this requirement? Mm. And the minister, in terms of the act, can waive anything. For example, uh, if you haven't been able to go back to your country of origin, you also have to get a police clearance, by the way. If you can't get a police clearance from your country of origin, you ask the minister to please waive that requirement. Or recently, in terms of a high court decision, where you come in as a visitor and you marry a South African citizen, and the law is you can't change your condition locally. But then you apply to the minister in terms of the Nandatu decision and say, please, Mr. Minister, can you waive this requirement that I go back to my country of origin? And by the way, that applies to asylum seekers mm. wishing to convert to immigration visas. They also can apply to the minister for a waiver that they have to go back to their country of origin and apply for a visa from there. The standard golden rule is you apply for a proper visa from your country of origin. And Actually, this is a very sound yeah. warning mm. Yeah. Mm. to journalists and business people coming in for board meetings. Mm. You're coming in for work. You must get the proper visa. Yes. So one of the things that I wanted to ask, right, is around the process that the employer has to follow before they can hire a non-national. So you talked about advertising the post. They have to show that they have done everything possible um, to seek South Africans with the uh, relevant experience, relevant skills, and have simply not found those skills. I can understand it, um, I suppose, when it comes to some sectors. I mean, the example you gave of the sweet maker is a, is a great one. When it comes to your lower skills services, such as being a waiter or waitress or being a truck driver, would one need to follow the same process there? Yes, well, there's one set of laws governing all of these activities. Mm. Like I said, barring the Zimbabweans on special work permits, there's no exemption for a truck driver or a waitron unless that person already <coughs> enjoys some other kind of permit, like an asylum seeker's permit mm. or a ZSP. So the answer is you, you have to comply. If you're employing any foreigner, be it a domestic or a gardener, let, let's say real, uh, let's say low-paying jobs. I, I don't mean it disrespectfully. Mm. I'm just trying to make a, a distinction between a, let's say, white-collar job. Now you have to comply. There's, there's no exemption to any employer, and if you don't, you could be charged. Not just for employing somebody unlawfully. You're actually aiding and abetting a foreigner to remain in the country illegally, and that's quite a serious charge. Mm. For employers, after three offenses, there's a jail there's a jail sentence. So, again, I think the laws are in place. The actual, the actual implementation might be problematic for one or other reasons. So you can see the law was crafted 
very, very, you, you know, you know with, with, extreme, mm. with extreme amount of caution in mind as to how they're going to prevent an employer getting away from just employing a foreigner. I, I want to talk about... Now, is, yeah, go ahead, go ahead. Yeah. I say this, this employment of foreigners is a universal thing. It's not specific to South Africa mm. because even if you have the visa... A, a foreigner is not entitled to enter the republic. It's a privilege. It's not a right. South Africa still has the ultimate say. You could come, for example, from a foreign country, and uh, you could be visa-free, and you could still be turned away at the airport, like you would if you have a U.S. visitor's visa. You could get to the airport or to the U.K., and they say, sorry, sir, we don't, we're not happy with the interview. You can be turned back, and there's nothing you can do. Mm, mm. Of course, South Africa has this magnificent system of checks and balances. Even when you are prevented entry into the country, the Immigration Act has this beautiful Section 8 review process. You can actually review that. I think this is one of the few countries in the world where you can actually review the decision to refuse your entry. Yes. Um, I want to start taking some of our callers that are on the line. Pat, you're calling us from Durban. Uh, thanks for holding. Good morning. Morning, morning. You taking my call. Uh, you you mentioned one of the things uh, like uh, which basic skills in the transport or logistics industry that cannot be sourced in this country. Uh, thank you for that one. But uh, further to what this gentleman is talking about, I'd like to offer a uh, possible solution for the trucking industry that will sort most of the problems out here for now. And see, truck drivers, our law requires us to have a valid PDP to drive on our public roads or to enter any of our national key points. But this is law is not, uh, this law does not apply to the foreign drivers. How come? If it's a law, it must either apply to all or let's abolish this law because the government is only making money Every two years we go to renew the seat. It costs us about a thousand rand at a time. And uh, what I'd like to suggest, you see, when I spoke to companies, uh, company owners, I asked them uh, about the, why foreigners don't have PDP. They told me this government allows them if you, they send them for a defensive driving cause. Now, I'd like them to understand a defensive driving cause is telling you about how to drive the vehicle. And mind you, the companies that offer, offer this defensive driving cars, only do a theory, keep you in office. They don't have vehicles to show you what to do. Mm. And then, further to that now, if uh, if I require a PDP, uh, wait, I'm, I must start something here. Uh, uh, the PDP shows that I'm medically fit to drive a vehicle and I don't have a criminal record. That is nowhere any uh, to do with defensive driving. How is our country allowing them to drive? Okay. All right, Pat. Thanks for that call. Pat calling us from out in Durban. I'm going to take a quick break. I'm back uh, with Ashraf and uh, with more of the calls that you're putting through at this hour. The Talking Point with Kathy Mosasana. Weekdays, 9 a.m. till midday. 
You're live on the talking point. We're taking a look at some of the issues that uh, the, and the, the legislation really that governs the employment of non-nationals in this country. Ashraf Esop is a director and head of immigration at Legal Services at Rousseau's. Um Mr. Ashraf, thank you so much again for your time today. Maybe if you can just tackle some of the issues that were raised by Pat. Okay, in terms of a special dispensation applying to foreign truck drivers, as I said, in my view, they have to, employer has to, has to comply with that. But oftentimes the employer is abroad. His trucks are coming into the, into the country for delivery. There was something, and I can't just put my finger on it immediately, that, that gave a special dispensation to foreign truck drivers. Now, if you're a South African company employing a foreigner to work for you in South Africa, you have to comply with this act. You can't get away from it. So if you look at the list of critical skills, truck drivers are not there. If you have a look at the publication that we spoke about earlier on, truck drivers are not there. But the practical reality is that you have foreign truck drivers for South Africa and for the for the foreign countries. Now, there is a very real problem here that we need to look at. Mm. There's a language barrier. When they, when they go back to their countries of origin, they have to comply with the law on that side as well. They have to be able to converse with the authorities or in multiple jurisdictions if you're traveling to, from here to other jurisdictions to the ultimate destination like Zambia, etc. So you're going to pass through multiple areas of different, of different laws with different applications. But there's no getting away from it. If a South African has to comply with the law, and unless there's a specific law excluding someone else from from applying, uh, you know, for for uh, obeying that law, there has to be a reason for that. And if not, then I think there's a good case being made out for any association to approach our government and say, please apply the law equally. In mm-hmm. fact, that is a constitutional dispensation. You cannot discriminate against anyone, including foreigners. You can't because they're protected by the Constitution. The moment you are within the borders of the Republic, you are protected by the Constitution. Mm-hmm. Citizens have the rare exception. They are protected by the Constitution outside the borders of the Republic. You will recall the Kaunda decision of 2000 in the Constitutional Court where South African citizens were employed as mercenaries and they were going to overthrow some central African government and they were stopped in Zimbabwe and they called on the South African government to afford them diplomatic assistance and help. And you're entitled to do that, even as a prisoner in a foreign country. So your constitutional rights are not ended at the board, just to make that clear. However, everyone else, you're protected by the constitution internally. One law for all. So... What would the uh, uh, employer or the uh, you know, truck driver or truck owner have to do? Have to comply with the law. If it's a labor law, you have to comply with it. If there's a operator's permit that you require, you have to comply with it. Okay. If there's anything that you, there is, there is one law for all.
That's my message. All right. So we've got a few more callers on the line and uh, some questions on the WhatsApp line, uh, Mr. Esop. So I'm going to ask if you can keep your answers just slightly shorter uh, so that we can get through as many of them as possible. Matthew wants to know, on the topic of immigration and the right to work, I'm here on an intra-company transfer for four years, but I've been told that the four years doesn't count towards getting permanent residency and that I'll need to move across to a critical skills visa to do that is that correct it's not correct first mm. of all intra-company transfers have got another two years extension number one number two you can't change from an intra-company transfer to something else you have to go back to the country of origin and then apply for a change of condition mm. you can't do that internally because intra-company transfer is a specific class of people that were excluded from having to comply with all of the laws in the first place. Thirdly, if you have a critical skills, you have to be very clear about that kind of skill and, and you, have to, you have to prepare for that new work permit. The nice thing about being a, 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 in possession of a critical skills visa is you don't have to prove employment immediately. You can actually come in on a critical skills visa and... You can then walk around for 12 months looking for an employer. The critical skills visa, importantly, is one of the uh, throughputs or pipelines to permanent residence. Mm. Okay. L- let me quickly go to uh, Langalake in Lamontville. Good morning. Hey, morning, Kate. How are you? I'm well, thank you. Go ahead, sir. So thanks for taking my call. No, uh, I think I did uh, go through the policy, and I think there is a clause that talks about the skills transfer. Transfer. Your case, uh, we, 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 we will uh, clarify. To my understanding is that uh, if you employ a foreigner, it shouldn't be permanent because there is uh, a clause that says he or she, if he's employed, must be able to be monitored, to be able to uh, transfer that skill to a South African. Secondly, I think I am convinced that... Uh, most employers didn't follow the processes that uh, your guest has outlined mm. in terms of how to employ a uh, foreigner. And the question is, what is the recall for those employers, including government departments that have employed foreigners in positions, positions like administration or clerks, you know, if they have not, they, they did not follow the normal processes of applying from the Department of Labor. Mm. And lastly, I think the two ministers, the Minister of Home Affairs and the Minister of Labor, are not taking this matter of unemployment, high employment in South Africa. The reason being is, I don't understand how the Minister of, of, of Home Affairs can issue work permits for soft skills that South Africans can be able to do. Hello? And again, uh, the Minister of Labor, uh, if you find there, I remember you said you've been trying to get those of you, but for some reason, he doesn't want to come on the radio. I want to find out just to... How many inspections is he conducting on this mm. company to check mm. they, well, who, who is being employed and how? So that uh, there should be the recourse because there is a penalty. Uh, for uh, non-compliance. Thank okay. You. All right. Uh, Thank you so much for that. Um, Colin, are you going to be able to keep it brief? Good morning. Hi, Colin. Okay, okay. Two questions. Uh, the category of driver's license, I have a category is involved in all of that. And skills. An 18-wheeler is a skillful job, and I don't like to hear people say it's 
uh, anybody can drive an 18 wheeler. I hear so many people say no. That is, you don't need skills for that. Of course, you need skills. Parking, mm. reversing, mm. and things like that, mm. and so and so. Another thing to is, how long does home affairs take? If I employ somebody and I do my homework, I send the papers through, and how long do I wait before I can employ? Sometimes you've got to wait three, four, six months. Mm. So I'm sitting without that employer, uh, employer, employee that I want, really want badly, but it takes home affairs months to, uh, to do the work. Thanks very much. Okay, uh, Colin, thanks for raising those issues. I'm going to take a quick break and then, Ashraf, I'll give you a chance just to uh, wrap up your thoughts and respond to some of the issues that our callers have put on the table. Hashtag SFM Talking Point. All right, we're in conversation with uh, Ashraf Esop. He's the Director and Head of Immigration at Legal Services at Rousseau's. Uh, Mr. Esop, it's been really great having this conversation. I'm going to ask you to try and respond and wrap up uh, some of the issues that have been raised by um, our callers in the next maybe two, three minutes. I've got one last interview to get to after you. Uh, so go ahead. So the first question was uh, a skills transfer. Of course, when the employer is uh, making an application for intra-company transfer, he has to demonstrate that he has a skills transfer plan. Without that, the department will be declining that application. However, there's no, any, there's no oversight because, remember, the intra-company transfer is for a period of four years, and then the employee goes back. So there's no oversight on whether the skills transfer actually took place. The second one was a critical skill regarding driving an 18-wheeler machine. Of course, you can see from the truck accidents, et cetera, et cetera, you have to have a huge amount of skills to operate such a big machine. And it is true that the department takes extremely long uh, in order to get things done. There's numerous cases where applicants have taken the department to court um, sometimes en masse for a result, only to find that the department then manages to get those things done that they were, they were taken to court for. But, you know, unreasonable delay is, uh, is something that you can review administratively. It forms part of administrative law. So if the department has delayed or not responded within a reasonable time, that falls into administrative delays, which you can take on review. However, you have to exhaust internal remedies with the department at all times. And you have to first go to the DG, then to the minister. And again, the department's own admission is that they have, uh, they lack staff, uh, something in the region of 8,000 people. But let's take the refugees. It is is said, uh, I think the Lawyers for Human Rights or some other organization carried out a study, it will take 68 years before they finalize an application for refugee status at at the current rate. Mm. Mr. Esop, we're going to... we're unfortunately mm-hmm. we're going to have to leave it there for tonight uh, for this morning rather I'm really really pressed for time and I think what we'll have to do is we'll have to have a continuation of this conversation because um, there's so much else that uh, all of you uh, are trying to engage on but we've simply run out of time for this interview let me thank you again for uh, being with us this morning Ashraf Esop is a director and head of immigration at legal services at Rousseau's Okay.